0: Hello and welcome to the One Stop Co Op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I'm your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by. To the Case Files, this is the series of episodes where I take a deep dive look into a game's theme. And I share with you the cultural story that I believe is being communicated to us, the players. Today, I'm taking a look at Lewis and Clark, The Expedition. Uh, I got this from the Portal Gaming Store in Manchester, Connecticut. That was nice enough to lend me the store copy for this review. It is uh, from uh, 2014, it's a game for one to five players, in which we are playing adventurers in the mold of Lewis and Clark, starting from St. Louis uh, and the American East and traveling through uh, the American West, where uh, at that time, not many Americans knew what was out there. Uh, adventure story and also hero mechanisms as well, multi-use cards and resource management as well. So I'm very eager to share some of the historical background and show you how it works at the table. So let's go ahead and get to it. Let's tell a story. In 1803, during the tenure of President Thomas Jefferson, the United States government commissioned the historical subject for this game, the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Earlier that year, President Jefferson had effectively doubled the size of the United States with a stroke of a pen, as the saying goes. He bought the port of Louisiana and lands north of it from the French Emperor Napoleon for $15 million. Every great colonial power knew that scores of Indian tribes had occupied the land for centuries before. What the Louisiana Purchase really meant was a promise, recognized by all the great powers that America now had first right to acquire the land from the indigenous peoples via trade or conquest. To explore this territory that was completely new to Americans Jefferson appointed his personal secretary Captain Meriwether Lewis the head of the Corps of Discovery. Captain Lewis then chose Lieutenant William Clark as his co-commander. Lewis and Clark gathered their strength around St. Louis in 1804. They eventually recruited 33 men almost all of whom made the entire journey to the Pacific and back by 1806. Jefferson charged Lewis to find an all-water route through the mainland of America, which did not happen. Darn those pesky, gigantic, rocky mountains. The Corps was also charged with drawing maps, conducting scientific research, and I stated in the game's rulebook to encourage peace between the native peoples and the new father, President Jefferson. (laughs) Encourage peace with the Indians? Father Jefferson? Yo, let's talk about this. Since this is a video about the cultural story of the Lewis and Clark board game, I want to be very clear about what I think the game can and cannot say. It is true that the Lewis and Clark expedition played an indirect yet key role in the 19th century genocide of Native American peoples. The maps generated by members of the Corps, as well as exciting tales of a beautiful, idyllic Western frontier, inspired American citizens and immigrants to move west and claim land for their own. Settler hunger for land was insatiable, more on that in a second. However, it's probably asking a bit too much of the game's engine to incorporate a settler story into its mechanisms, though the larger context is important to keep in mind. Another aspect of the large native genocide was disease. The white man's disease, especially smallpox, decimated native tribes throughout the 19th century. In addition, sexually transmitted diseases such as syphilis and gonorrhea were quite common. Those were long winter nights at forts Mandan and (coughs) Clatsop. Once again, while important context, the game engine probably couldn't handle that either. That does bring me back, though, to the core idea that Meriwether Lewis encouraged peace amongst the tribes as well as between the tribes and the American government. That sounds great. That's exactly the kind of soothing concept that would help players feel comfortable, even heroic, in the role of Lewis and Clark. However, the historical truth is far more complicated. Native Americans learned over the centuries to question what kind of peace the white man brought. Let's look at Thomas Jefferson's original request to Congress. It reveals some of his intent. He wanted to, quote, encourage the Native Americans to abandon hunting, to apply to raising stock, to agriculture and domestic manufacture as this will maintain them better than in their former mode of living. Even though hunting was central to Native culture, it did not match America's economic desires, so it had to go, replaced by farming and trapping. How were the Americans going to achieve this change? Jefferson to Lewis a bit later in a letter in 1808. Commerce is the great engine through which we are to coerce them, not war. It was the peace of exclusive commerce with American traders, coerce being the key word. Let's look at Captain Lewis. He shared the same attitude in his dealings with many Indian tribes. He read versions of the same speech to many tribes he met, which is worth quoting at length. Quote, Children, we have come to inform you, as we go to inform all the nations of red men who inhabit the borders of the Missouri that a great council was held between this great chief of the 17 great nations of America and your old fathers, the French and the Spanish, and that in this great council it was agreed that all the white men of Louisiana should obey the commands of this great chief. Children, you are to live in peace with all the white men, for they are the great chief's children. Neither wage war against the red men of your neighbors, for they are equally his children, and he is bound to protect them. Children, Do these things, which your great father advises, and be happy. Lest, by one false step, you bring upon your nation the displeasure of your great father, the great chief of the 17 great nations of America, who could consume you as the fire consumes the grass of the plains. I put a little flavor in there, but you have to admit, it has a definite Pulp Fiction vibe, doesn't it? Let me boil that quote down. Trade or die. A paternalistic piece, as indicated by the use of children and father. Peace, but down the barrel of a gun. Which, by the way, was mounted on the expedition's main keel boat, and it wasn't for hunting. That was the white man's peace. At least that was the peace offered by Jefferson and Lewis. In reality, the overwhelming wave of white American settlers made peaceful trade impossible. Throughout the 19th century, as soon as the Indians thought they had a treaty with America, that treaty was broken hundreds of times over by eager American settlers, pushing the native peoples further and further west. Neither Jefferson nor Lewis ever grappled with the inherent hypocrisy of their trade-or-die maxim. The settlers didn't play ball. Moreover, the settlers were never punished, or barely ever, even encouraged to do so by forces in the government or society. For the Lewis and Clark expedition, did the Indians accept the white man's peace? In a word, no. Most tribes, especially the different Sioux tribes along the Missouri, found the white man's trade offerings miserly, almost causing open conflict. Where relations were better, like with the northern Mandan tribes, trade was constant. The Corps had a blacksmith that made and sold axes and other metal weapons throughout the winter at Fort Mandan. So much for encouraging peace. The Corps would never have gotten through the Rocky Mountains had they not traded for horses with Sacajawea's tribe, the Shoshone. Past the Rockies, Lewis's journals are filled with tales of getting grifted and cheated by the Nez Perce, the Clatsop, and other tribes. They traded with the white men of the Corps, but much of that trade was on the native people's terms. The reason i discussed indian relations in depth in the previous section is to underscore the point that a happy peaceful mutually beneficial coexistence between indian tribes and the core discovery that's foundational to how this game works both aesthetically and mechanically let me explain how the game works very very quickly so then uh, each player is going to have a meeple And the meeple represents an expedition. The game reimagines that the government has chartered multiple expeditions. And there'll be a race up the Missouri River. So as players play, uh, the different meeples are going to uh, race themselves up the Missouri River through the mountain chain, uh, through the Rocky Mountains, which are kind of evocative of of the real-life journey, which is really cool. End up at the Columbia River, and then the finish of the game will be the first player who reaches Fort Clatsop which is the fort that was constructed by the Corps of Discovery in 1805. So uh, there is no point in the game whatsoever. The only point of the game is to reach the finish line, and the the first person to reach the finish line is the winner of Lewis and Clark. Everything you do in Lewis and Clark requires gathering and spending resources. Every player is going to start with one Indian meeple. You can see the Indian meeple with a little feather up on top. Uh, There are two ways in which the meeples help you gather resources one is straight-up worker placement Here are some very easy spaces. I put my Indian meeple there for my turn and I gather Two of the resources into my player area The other way to gather resources in Lewis and Clark is to play your cards start with a hand of six cards Most of the cards are going to help you gather the same resources so fur or food or lumber or whatever it is and then you'll have a special card Uh, which will allow you to translate those resources into movement. Playing cards in Lewis and Clark is not as simple as just playing a card. So if I wanted, uh, say, buffalo meat, I would take one of my other cards and I would use the backside of it. That would give me an Indian helper. The Indian would help me gather one meat. I have one symbol over here, so then I would gather the buffalo meat. If I wanted to gather more meat, uh, I would need more Indian helpers up to three. So that if I didn't want to use this, I use this more powerful card, which had more helper symbols, I would get one, two meat. Or I could use my helpful little Indian meatballs if I wanted to go all the way up to three. They're the Indians that are helping me get three meat that mechanism where the indian helpers help me do a thing reminded me of a completely different game with a completely different setting but the particular mechanism was kind of an echo of this one this is obsession in obsession i am playing a victorian english noble person trying to entertain my guests so then i have a servants here in my quarters and i'm doing different actions to entertain the servants and i'm playing cards and they, the servants are helping me do a thing. So uh, if I can show you this, then I have my trapper that is, has the Indian helper right there. I have my ladies and my activities and the servants are helping me there. Is there a legitimate difference between these two things besides the setting? Mechanically, I just don't think they're that different. The last action that I'll show you is what the rule book calls the take Indians on board action. So one of your, uh, everyone's starting cards is the interpreter. So then you would play your Indian meeple to fire up the interpreter. And all of the Indians on worker placement spaces would gather in a powwow. So you can imagine the white man is visiting. Here comes the white man. So we are going to have a powwow. And... Uh, For whatever reason, the white man gets to choose how many Indians are now a part of the core of discovery. No exchange, just free. Uh, The silver tongue of the white man just convinced the Indians to come on and help out for free. This take Indian action really stands out relative to the other way in which you can improve your personal state in the game, which is by acquiring cards. These cards pictorially represent the different encounters that the Lewis and Clark expedition had, so many of this deck is named Indians, like Big White, who was the chief of the Mandan tribe, or Wat Kuhwes, uh hope I pronounced that correctly, probably not, uh, she was the Nez Perce woman who helped the expedition after the Rocky Mountain trip, or Sacagawea, excellent, one of the most powerful cards, uh, very worthy. Not just Indians, white men as well, including Toussaint Charbonneau, who was Uh, Sacagawea's husband and a man of no particular merit. (laughs) So they're all here and you purchase their services or you trade for them. This is a market in which you're going to pay equipment and fur in order to get their services. Uh, It stands out that in terms of the name personages, I pay for them. But in terms of regular Indian Native American folks, I just take them. And to me, this is one of the easiest, most obvious fixes. Your personal player deck is made up of the actual core of discovery. You get that for free at the beginning of the game. These Indian meeples should have been army guys. They should have been little blue ones or gray ones instead of a feather. They could have been holding an oar or a musket or something. And they're the ones that go on the trips. They're the one that help. They're soldiers. They're trained to obey. And so aesthetically as well, I think this is a pretty easy issue to address. You would take the TPs out of here, these particular spaces, because you would put the worker there and get the resource for no extra cost. So uh, I put my core discovery uh, person there and they give me stuff. This would be the little blue man, they're hunting, they're trapping, they're doing all the things that they did in the core. Here, you you could keep the Indians and the dwellings and all that kind of stuff. You would have exchange. Two wood for a canoe, three resources for a horse. The essential message being, white man, if you want something, then pay me. And so the last thing I'll show is the personal player space, the personal avatars and the faces that you see in the game. Uh, Here's your personal player board. You got your different boats right there where you store your resources. I really appreciated these little touches. You had your big keel boat and your smaller pirogues on the side. Uh, you have the captain standing right there. Uh, this, uh, <laughs> this is bordering on just pure fantasy, uh, But and, and sincerely, I hope that these Indians were compensated for their services. Uh, this is the advanced cards, which I'll, I'll encourage you to explore those on your own. I think the game generally did a good job with uh, pictorial representation of the different uh, characters. Here are the core of Discovery themselves. These are the starter cards. Uh, So then you have Pierre Cruset with his fiddle. I think the game did a really good job digging into the history. The dog. (laughs) The only transcontinental dog at that point. Uh, You have a couple more. uh, And then you have York, who was the slave, the only black man on the expedition. Uh, Tall, uh, big, but uh, stately, which I really appreciated as well. I definitely encourage you to... Pay attention, Uh, oh, there he is right there, the man himself, Meriwether Lewis. So that's my vision of the cultural story of Lewis and Clark i want to be clear there's a lot that this game does right i really enjoyed the deck of cards for the most part uh depicting the core of discovery and the different people that interacted with the core uh that was all fun and the route itself uh you know going through the river and the mountains are generally in the right place Uh, i think that this game does a fair amount uh to tell that a historical story through the prism of a fun board game just those native meeples oh my So, (laughs) get myself together over here uh, and communicate that uh, because this game is so steeped in history, it's gonna get some serious, sustained critique from me. And I know the game is telling a fictionalized version of the story. There was only one uh, Lewis and Clark exhibition that followed that exact path, uh, where in the game there's multiple. But I think besides that, it wants to be able to say that it is steeped in history. And I think uh, someone playing this is going to draw the natural conclusion that they can learn a lot of history from this game. And don't take my word for it. Here is a clip from my friend Rotto in his Rotto Runs Through of this game. Uh, the first dog to make it or, you know. The, you know, the dog actually made it all the way to the West Coast. There's actually tons of neat little historical tidbits about all the characters in this game. They're all based on real people. It's actually very, very cool. I mean, you could almost use this game as a history lesson if you wanted. So that's not just me. There is a hitch to be learned from this game. So what kind of history? When it comes to the greater Native peoples, unfortunately, it's not only wrong. It's a kind of a comforting lie. The kind of comforting lie that board games like to tell. A lot of games delve into difficult periods of history and we're becoming more and more cognizant that the 18th and 19th centuries involved the genocide of native peoples. But I think this game wants to say, "Oh, well, this is an exception. The Lewis and Clark uh, expedition was an exception. There was no slaughter of native peoples. Uh, there, You know, you could feel good about this particular slice of it because of how it played out. And I'll say, ugh. It's a lot more tied in to that difficult story than this game is pretending. And not only is it that comforting lie, it reproduces a pretty harmful cultural stereotype. Case, cultural appropriation, stereotyping, and erasure. In this this particular case, it's a stereotype. And that is of the helpful native. That stereotype of the helpful native, happy, uh, you know, here, let's go have Thanksgiving together. Let's go share crops and, you know, welcome the white man. That goes back to the very, very beginning. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Look at his logs and he describes meeting the Taino peoples in the Caribbean, uh, mostly naked and, you know, friendly of demeanor. And his conclusion was that they would make good Servants. That story of the happy, friendly native got back to the uh, European world and that became part of what encouraged mass European migration, which caused smallpox and displacement and all the terrible things we associate with genocide. So that's a difficult thing uh, for people to understand because I think when most people think of bad stereotypes, they think of like the aggressive stuff. The, the savage native, the warlike native, or different cultures and peoples have their truly negative interpretations. So it's like, well, this game doesn't do that. It shows natives as friendly. It's not how difficult stereotypes work. Really, there's a double side to uh, bad stereotypes. I call it the naughty and the nice. So this game does not encourage the naughty native stereotype, but it is the nice native stereotype. Uh, I think of it as the geopolitical version of the friend zone. It's a giant neon sign above an entire peoples that says, take advantage of us, walk all over us. We're not gonna fight your land claims We're not gonna put up real resistance. In fact, we're gonna be helpful. And if we're not helpful, then they must be savage and that becomes a way to uh, justify uh, killing and all things that happened. All stereotypes work like that. And that stereotype of the friendly native that just exists as a function of the white man pervades this game. And so how could this game have presented a history a little bit different? Well, uh, like I said uh, during the overview, a good start would have been to get rid of those native meeples and just have those be the core of Discovery. They were the people in this game system that worked for quote-unquote free, that obeyed uh, orders. So a total translation would have been possible there. The Really though, uh, when it comes to the deeper story of the game, uh, needed to be communicated uh, very clearly that there was no way The Corps would have lasted even a winter were it not for the active help of Native Americans, which had to be earned and traded for. Uh, As I said, uh, there there were not every tribe responded to the Corps very well because of different things that happened and poor exchanges, especially. Uh, And the Native that did help only helped because the Corps initiated better exchanges so uh it really was on the natives terms that the core was able to get to Fort clatsop and back and this game needed to do so much better to tell that story i could imagine if uh you know you have your resources and you make you have to make the natives happy and make good trades along the way and if you don't make trades then nobody wins that really would have been uh reflective of the story of the game, uh, which highlighted the active role that Native Americans played. So when it comes to evaluating the game, I admit that I put uh, more historical games on a higher standard. I think it's so important that we get our history right because it's the only way we're gonna get cultural and cultural relations. It's the only way we're gonna get that right when we're built on a firm foundation of at least a general sense of history. It doesn't have self-serving, comfortable lies in its foundation. So. On that rubric, um, in terms of the spectrum, so I get green, which is, you know, okay game. Yellow has some issues. Uh, orange has some more serious issues. And red is some real problems. We're going code red here. Uh, this is a really difficult story uh, with the stereotypes that it represents and the actual history that it obscures. So now someone's going to hear Code Red and said, oh, he wants to cancel the game. That's uh, not what I want to do at all. Just because something has a profound problem, board games are magical like that. You change a couple of things. Uh, you change your mind, you change the world. And all of a sudden, you're telling a more resonant story that tells more accurate history. And that's fine. And even, especially in terms of the Lewis and Clark expedition, if you narrow it to just the expedition, it's kind of a historic, it's kind of a, Heroic story and it highlights the agency of native peoples. And for that story to get out, if a game is a good uh, way to get that story out, then I'm cool. It does need some serious changes in the way it presents its Indian history. And so until that happens, well, <laughs> the grade code red is going to stand. But as always, I'm open to an invitation to dialogue and other ways in which this game could tell a better story. If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, late everybody. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories.